Hey, Peter. Hey, man. I'm super tweaking right now. Yeah, I, I noticed that. Can barely talk. Yeah. What are you tweaking on? I'm Adam Mannis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It Podcast. Daily jazz advice, fully caffeinated. Oh my gosh. Fully caffeinated. Buddy, I'm starting to shake. I know, but then I notice you're like, go make some more coffee as, as well. Aren't you there already? Yeah, Sam's making coffee right now. Okay. Yeah, for, for our listeners who don't know, we usually record a block of these. We don't sit down. Oh, sorry. They think it's every day. Oh, man. No, no, no. We, we record a block and you're leaving town soon, so we're trying to record a big block of these. Yeah, we we're, doing a hundred. we're doing a hundred today. This is why I'm freaking out. Uh, no, my heart's not. about to explode out of my chest. We just do a couple of things. But we're, uh, we're going to make it happen. Today's episode of the You'll Hear It podcast is sponsored by the Oxford American. Make sure you take a minute to vix- visit oxfordamerican.org slash YHI. You'll find all kinds of musical goodies, including a feature on John Coltrane, an interview with Les McCann, a video feature about a lifelong collector of 78 RPMs, and much more. Again, that's oxfordamerican.org slash YHI. And be sure to sign up for the Oxford American's e-newsletter so you don't miss out on important music announcements, events, and other musical happenings in the Oxford American universe. Love the Oxford American. That's right. Today's episode is also brought to you by Folgers. Folgers <laughs> in your cup. Today's episode is brought to you by Sump Coffee, and I want to give a huge shout out to my boys over there at Sump who are yeah. making it for me every every morning. Show the logo. My cappuccino. For the YouTubes. For the, for the YouTubes. That's yeah. the skeleton. It's scary. Scarier. Scarier than the coffee. You see the this weird scary. thing about the Sump, the Sump guy? No. I took our boy uh, Jay Boogie, John Ellis, there once. Uh-huh. Oh, We're I walking in, yeah. and the guy who owns Sump, the beard, the, 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 the Sump guy... He's some, a guy. He's like outside working on some, you know, some woodworking or something. And he looks at John Ellis and he goes, John, they know <laughs> each other. They've known each other for a long time. Anyway, it was really a small world after all kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Anyway, awesome. uh, we got a speak pipe today. Oh, man. We are speak piping. <laughs> we got a speak pipe from Daniel. All right. Hey guys, it's Dan. Uh, I wanted to take up the speak pipe challenge. Love the podcast. Uh, I wondered if you could talk about your own individual development as pianist because i feel like um you haven't really gone through back from the early days to where you are now and i wanted to hear about some milestones in your playing um and you know when you felt like you were progressing the first tune that you learned um stuff like that because i often find that i get in a rut and so i want to know how do i make that that leap uh to the next level of piano development Hmm. and um musical development so thanks very much for your input and love the show. Stump, dump, 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 dump. Little milestones. Ah, little milestones. I like oh, yeah. it. That was your first tune? No, okay. no way. Uh, <laughs> you know what my first tune that I ever learned was like out of a real book? It's a weird tune. Easy to love. Ooh, you tough one. It's a tough tune. Easy to love, yeah. hard to play. I've had lessons with uh, uh, the icon around here in St. Louis, Carol Beth True. Yes, as did I. Yeah, every I think every jazz pianist in the last yeah. 30 years has had started with lessons with Carol Beth. And That's right. She's got a great system for, for bringing young musicians up. But uh, she gave me Easy to Love as my first real book tune to learn. And it doesn't, it, you know, that's not like a logical kind of tune. There's a, right. some weird turns in there. Yep. Yeah, anyway. So I think my first tune, I mean, you know, even before an official jazz tune was a song called Long Long Ago, long, a classic long ago. in the um in the uh, Suzuki method. Huh. Piano and Oh, you're violin. going way back. I mean if we're going way well, way Well, I know it wasn't the first song I played, but it was the first one I tried to make jazzy. Jeremy uh. Jeremy Davenport who I uh 
was friends with and grew up with from a very young age, six or seven, was is a trumpet player, great trumpeter in New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, we decided to do like a jazzy version because we heard like we hadn't even really heard that much jazz. I mean, I'd heard it in my house, like on record, but like live jazz. But we had a pretty good like high school jazz band and we were in middle school. Or, we weren't even middle school. We were still like elementary. But we did a little jazzy version of it, which is like really hilarious, you mm. know. But that was sort of the first attempts at jazz. But then uh, when I was in seventh grade, we organized a little combo. We were in like the stage band at Brittany Woods Middle School, U-City, the U. And um, we, um, not to be confused with the University of Miami, the real U. Um, but we we did a song called Whole Lotta Blues. Whole Lotta. It sounds like a bluesy. It was a bluesy fiasco. A bluesy fiasco. <laughs> Uh, and it was written by Marty Page. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. Great, great arranger. And uh, yeah, you better go to Google on that one, big big guy. <laughs> I remember my first like real uh, jazz band tune, Sammy Nestico's A Warm Breeze. Oh, A Warm Breeze, you know of course. That one? Yeah, I did yeah. that in high school jazz band. I remember, uh, man, the trumpet players, maybe the trombone players, they, also, they always have a joke back there <laughs> that it was like a warm waft, <laughs> you know, like yeah. some kind Funny of fart guys. joke. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, well, I mean, look, we're going back. These are actually first tunes, but we, he was, Dan was asking about our individual development with milestones. And I think those early tunes and those early experiences, even if it's high school band or whatever, are certainly uh, developmental milestones. I think, uh, you know, for me, my, my development was very much came from just sort of a, a childhood of, of being around music a lot in yeah. general. So not even, it, it kind of uh, became about jazz at a certain point, but it was never like, oh, I'm getting into jazz because I did hear it a, a fair amount growing up. I didn't like grow up in a jazz household, but I heard the music a fair amount. And so when it kind of connected, and I, I'm sure this wasn't like just at one moment, but it felt like it probably was. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure it wasn't. But it's like at whatever time when I was like, wow, I like that. I want, you know, it's kind of like if something is sitting there and you walk by it all the time, you don't think about it. But at a certain point, you're like, wow, that's a nice plant there. I want to be a horticulturist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't just happen like that. But at a certain point, I connected with it, the sound or something. And I can remember like kind of early things that I heard. But then in terms of trying to play it, yeah, like even just trying to be jazzy on the piano, whatever totally. I thought that was. Uh, and then for me, it was like my in, my individual development was very much tied in with like a social thing because my friends were all trying to play. I was very lucky when it came to that because I was also hanging out with some other group that was not as I mean, you know, when I was coming up and, and probably you, you're a little younger, but maybe you two still. It was like, I mean, the late 70s, early 80s, man, it was like a free for all. We had bikes. We were riding. All, we were doing a lot of stuff. Oh, we should yeah. have been doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once we kind of started, started playing music and we kind of formed a band. Um, then it became about that. I became like obsessive about like, I want to try to play. And that's hard when you're young to learn to play jazz, even if you can play this. So I was like way more developed as a pianist as I was like jazz. I didn't know what like a B flat seven versus a dominant seven. And like my dad could help me some, but he didn't, he knew the sound of jazz and he knew music theory, but he was always thinking like a classical theory. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, that's the wrong seventh. Make it dominant seven. Both your parents are musicians. You Both my parents say. are musicians. Yeah, yeah. Right. Your dad played viola here in the St. Louis Symphony for right. years and years. Right. And your mom is, is a Suzuki. Suzuki violin teacher. Violin teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that was a big part of my development too. Like the violin playing coming up in the Suzuki thing because I learned to play by ear because mm -hmm. she taught very traditional like Suzuki. I mean, she studied with Suzuki in Japan. Cool. And it was like, you don't learn to read music. It was super hardcore. You learn. I mean, I did know how to read because I was doing piano too, but you know. I think the social element of it is is pretty important. Yeah. And I think it can really have a huge amount. I mean, I always tell uh, people who are asking me, how do I progress in jazz that you need 
uh, three things. You need a, a, a real curiosity for the music and a, and a desire to want to understand it. You need really good personal instruction. And then you need a community that can help you, that can be yes. like, you should check that out or you should not do that or you should yeah. check out this band. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. If that's if that's art or painting or, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. jazz, whatever. You need that kind of community. Mm. And so you are lucky that, I mean, you, the community that you grew up with is like, Chris Thomas and Jeremy yeah. Davenport and like Todd Williams. It's like a crazy, yeah, yeah, crazy group of of cats out of View City during yeah. that time. It was amazing. Marty Ehrlich, he was a little older than us, but I mean, we he, he came up from the same high school and um, Ronnie Barrage. Ronnie another. Barrage, you all just kind of swirled around together. It's great, man. Yeah, I had I had a, a great community too. Um, like no one that was like a heavy heavy jazz cat. I was definitely the only one of my friends that were in the jazz. There were a lot of like rock and roll uh, guys and metal guys that I was friends with. That's Jeffco. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, totally. But that music is great too. And uh, and we would learn all the Van Halen stuff. Um, but for me, it really locked in when I started gigging when I was 15 out in St. Louis here. And then I met other jazz musicians. You know what I mean? And yep. then you find your people close to your age who are like, yeah, have you checked out Miles's plug nickel? And like, I don't even know what that is. Right, you know? and right, you go right. and you check it out or whatever. And then you play gigs and you try to do it and you fail miserably, but yeah. you're doing it. That I think is a, is a big part in, in individual development is who you find to be part of your scene yeah. and then doing it together. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. You said at 15 now, you know, coming to St. Louis and doing gigs, that actually was a huge part of my development around the same age. Like I was um, actually a club right around the corner from here that doesn't exist anymore when I was, I must have been 15. Mm -hmm. I was playing with Freddie Washington and playing with Freddie this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, so that's kind of more like the elders. Yeah. You know, sure. I think that we really both benefited on the St. Louis scene that's not as heralded. I mean, people that know know this is a great community of musicians yeah. and a very giving and like. We're lucky know. to have that. For yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the way starting with, you know, Clark Terry and everything from the years of that. Yeah. There's been a part of the tradition here is is of helping, helping the next generation. So I think, yeah, having your peers is great, but it's even better when you have a little bit of the elders. You know, because then you actually can hear how it's supposed to be done. When you're with your peers, you're kind of struggling together, which is fun too. Yeah. Um, but huge parts of my development. Um, there's certain, a few things. I think in general, like it's it's like peaks and valleys, and, and the, it's never like, oh, I had this breakthrough and then I was good. I think that's usually no. more the Hollywood version. But there were like there were some pivotal moments for me in my development. I I would just like to. They might be of interest. One, actually, a couple of them were based upon when I was sitting in. I got a chance when I was, I think, like. Yeah, maybe 15 or 14, 15, I think I was 15. It's a, um, I had met Wynton Marsalis like the year before through my dad when he played with the symphony. And then um, he came back. He came back a couple times, but he came back with his own band here. And I kind of kept in touch. He gave me his number. It was like, if you have any questions, I was like, cool, I'm going to call him up. And um, when I came back, he, he kind of had me play in the dressing room or something, but he asked me to sit in on the gig. Wow. And I was like, what? I was like, oh, this will be cool. But he didn't like say what or whatever. And I didn't even know if it was going to happen. So I was kind of hovering around backstage. And then, you know, at a certain point, halfway or two thirds of the way through the show, he's like, yeah, now, right now, we like to feature a young up and coming pianist, you know, Peter Martin. And I came out and people kind of like, who's this kid? Boo. No, they didn't. But I still didn't know what we were going to play. Yeah. And so I was like, and so he's like, uh, was like, let's do, um, Softly is in a morning sunrise. And I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And but I think I'd heard it, but I either he didn't give me time or I was too sheepish sheepish to say it. And so we just sort of see he just sort of started. I was like, whoa. And so that was my first time kind of being under pressure, not knowing something. And I probably had heard it, but um 
after I st- we started and I think Winton could tell I didn't really know it, he kind of came over after he played the melody and I think it was like saxophone soloing and sort of called out the changes in my ear, you know. But I learned it. Oh, so like yeah. you talk about a milestone for learning the development. But that was, I think, the first time I started to get some confidence and like, wow, I can fake my way through some stuff and still kind of, like, so by the time I got to the piano solo, I could kind of get through it or whatever. Yeah. And, um, Did you get a standing O? No. Not, not a standing <laughs> O, but not, no, no booze. That's so good. it was right there down the middle. Um, you know, I don't know about for you, I'm sure this is the case for you, but for me, I was not a great practicer at first. You know, I didn't have a great idea of how to get better and how to practice. And so I think a, a really, a key for me was when I figured out how to practice to actually make improvements mm-hmm. and, and how to develop a routine like that. And it, listen, it's always getting, it's always being tweaked and refined and yeah. depending on where you are in your life, you know, it's at different places, but I think, uh, that can be a real a real stepping stone is figuring out how to practice yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, in a way that actually takes you from where you are to where you need to be. And, and the, you know, we've talked about that endlessly on this podcast about different ways to do that. Keep a practice journal, have goals, try to meet those goals, keep a regular appointment at your instrument. All that stuff is yeah. huge to making progress and to developing, you know, your, your individuality. Yeah. I think that's big. I would, I would second that for sure. That's, that's certainly part of my experience too. Um, the, the exciting stories and breakthroughs are good, but it's really the, in terms of personal development, I think, uh, on an individual level, it is separate from the community and all that. It's like, when did you start to put in the pieces that actually cause you to, to have some kind of exponential growth? Because yeah. the more you learn and the more you're in a community and you hear really good players and different things, it's like, wow, how am I going to get there to the point I could do that? Well, I remember when this happened, I think I was a uh, senior in high school, maybe. And I was always like, you know, I was always the best pianist wherever I went in high school. Yeah. Right. I wasn't that good, but it was right. like I was I had I had this natural thing for it. So uh, I got I was not lazy, but I just didn't think I needed to practice as much as I actually needed to practice. Right. Right. And I remember going to Spruels to see Willie Akins. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yeah. On a Saturday afternoon and Montez Coleman was playing. And he was so much better than me. And we, I sat in and he like basically. Now he's in your trio. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but he was like, not, not throwing shade, but it was definitely like, you need to get your yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. together. Yeah. And I was talking to him afterwards and I was like, so what are you doing? He's like, I practice all the time. I'm getting ready to move to New York and I'm practicing all the time. And I was like, this guy sounds amazing. You were like, oh, that's a thing. I was like, yeah. Oh, like, cause I figured like, oh, you're so good. You probably don't practice. Like that right. was what was in my mind. Right? right. It was like, you don't need to. Cause you're just a genius musician. What, you know, some. BS thing that teenagers tell themselves but that was a real turning point as far as like oh if you want to be at the at a top level you have to work at it every day yeah I mean I you know I've I've kind of always known that because I've had some good examples but I've had to be reminded so many times of that and I think you know you can really start to understand that if you look outside of music it's very easy to kind of personalize it or make comparisons in terms of what you think that you know but I mean you know go go to like an NBA basketball game or a really high level college game and go see how much warm-up and stuff is going on by, like, the, the best players. And if you think, wow, they're just, they're an animal. They're so great or no, whatever. Man. No, they're disciplined. Fundamental practicing. Fundamentals, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's that's a great thing that we can be doing all the time, of course. Well, yeah, you, I mean, having that classical background that your parents have, I'm sure, helped with that from a young age. Um, that's, a, that's a great thing to have, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah, it was great. Keep up the speak pipes. We actually just had one come in as we were talking. Did you? You're kidding me. No, maybe we'll hit that tomorrow. All right. Well, until tomorrow, you'll hear it.